Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. A particularly dramatic formulation comes up in section 72 of Pascal's Pensees. If we're going by Braunschweig's arrangement, there are multiple ways of arranging and numbering the various Pensees, but we're going to go with the Braunschweig because that's what the translation that I'm using corresponds to. And you may be familiar with this phrase. Sometimes it's rendered as nature is. Although the French is just say, and it isn't clear that nature is the reference of that. So he says, it is an infinite sphere, the center of which is everywhere, partout in French, the circumference, nowhere, nulle part. And this phrase, partout et nulle part, gets used by many authors later on, you know, everywhere and nowhere, right? And it's sort of just to describe or designate uh, the paradoxicality of things. In Pascal, this is coming in the middle of a section, or rather actually early on in a section, that is titled Man's Disproportion, which talks about the two infinities, which is quite an important idea, as well as the human being positioned between the two abysses of the infinite and nothing, and what you know a human being is in the middle of nature. And it comes up in the process of this contemplation that the reader is invited to join in on. You know, let the human being contemplate the whole of nature in her fuller grand majesty, turn his visions from the low objects which surround him, gaze on that brilliant light set like an eternal lamp to illuminate the universe. Let the earth appear a point in comparison with the vast circle described by the sun. Let him wonder at the fact that this vast circle is itself a very fine point with that described by the stars in their revolution around the firmament. But if our view be arrested there, let our imagination pass beyond, it will sooner exhaust the power of conception than nature that of supplying material for conception. The whole visible world is only an imperceptible atom in the ample bosom of nature. No idea approaches it. He says, we may enlarge our conceptions beyond all imaginable space. So we're going from sense to imagination to our conceptions. We produce only atoms in comparison with the reality of things. And here is where he says it. It is an infinite sphere, the center of which is everywhere, the circumference nowhere. In short, he continues, it is the greatest sensible mark of the almighty power of God that imagination loses itself in that thought. So we've got a kind of situatedness of this great phrase here, but it also takes on a kind of life of its own. Can we think of, can we concede, because we can't truly imagine what it would be like to have an infinite sphere, the center of which is everywhere. That means that every single place, every big or small point or atom or complex of things is the center of everything. And the circumference of which is nowhere. How is this even a sphere at all then, if it has no circumference that we can point to? Anything that we take to be its circumference eludes us, goes 
beyond us and we realize we haven't reached the circumference. So on the one hand, we have this every place is privileged equally and important. On the other hand, we never actually find the limit. And this turns out to be a very interesting phrase that has a long history of its own before it even reaches Pascal. There are various sources in that Havet traces it to Empedocles, and we get this in a note in the Brunswick edition from Mademoiselle de Gournay's preface to the edition of Montaigne's essays. So it's already circulating around, although not among the common people, right? But this paradoxical concept has already been formulated by the time that Pascal incorporates it into this discussion in the Pensees. And here I'm going to do something a little bit unusual. Usually I'd like to stick just to that particular text that I'm talking about. But as it turns out, Jorge Luis Borges has an essay on this titled The Fearful Sphere of Pascal. And he's going to do two important things in this. One is he's going to trace out a kind of, you could call it history of ideas in a very adumbrated form of this, typically Borgesian. And he's going to tell us that Xenophanes and Parmenides are both referencing spheres. So he says six centuries before the Christian era, the rhapsodist Xenophanes, wearied of the Homeric verses, lashed out at the poets who attributed his anthropomorphic traits to God and offered the Greeks a single god, a god who was an eternal sphere. He also brings up Plato saying in the Timaeus that the sphere is the perfect object. Then he talks about Parmenides and he says that Parmenides said that the divine being is like the mass of a well-rounded sphere whose force is constant from the center in any direction. Parmenides, as Borges points out, taught in, in various places a few years after his death. Empedocles constructed a laborious cosmogony, a stage exists in when the particles of air, water, earth, and fire make up a sphere without end, the rounded spheros, which exists in its circular solitude. So not exactly the same thing as what Pascal is saying, but kind of getting there, right? And then in the Middle Ages, and then going into the Renaissance, Borges is going to point out out that we have interesting references that are much closer. So Alain de Lille finds this formula in the Corpus Hermeticum. God is an intelligible sphere whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere. So very you know similar formulation, not nature, but God in this case. And then we have the Roman de la Rose, very important medieval text. The image reappears in it where it's given as a citation from Plato. And then we find in Rabelais' Pantagruel, the last book refers to that intellectual sphere whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere and which we call God. So again, we see an emphasis on this imminence and transcendence of the divine, the divinity, but we don't see the universe itself being pictured as such. Then Borges is going to bring up Giordano Bruno and he's going to say this movement to a new way of looking at things from the Renaissance onward is a liberation. Bruno declares that the world is the infinite effect of an infinite cause and that the divinity is close by for it is within us even more than we ourselves are within ourselves. He searched for words to tell men of Copernican space and on one famous page, the Della Causa, 
Principio et Uno, in book five, he says, we can assert with certitude that the universe is all center or that the center of the universe is everywhere and the circumference nowhere. So here we have a shift away from divinity or God to the universe. And as we move into the modern era, there's a sense of loss of space and place within the cosmos for the human being. And Pascal, you know, Borges is saying that the 17th century writers are much more pessimistic about this and worried about it. So he points out something quite interesting. We have this phrase, it or nature is an infinite sphere whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere. Thus do the words appear in the Brunschwig text. But in the critical edition published by Tourneur, which reproduces the crossed out words and variations of the manuscript, reveals that Pascal started to write the word effroyable, right? Fearful, frightful, fear-inducing. So it would become a fearful sphere whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere. Why should it be fearful? Why should it be inducing that sentiment or emotion in us? Well, if we look at the rest of the passage, 72, which is quite long, we see that there's a couple other places where we get to flesh this idea out. He tells us at one point, we naturally believe ourselves far more capable of reaching the center of things than of embracing their circumference. The visible extent of the world visibly exceeds us. But as we exceed little things, we think ourselves more capable of knowing them. And we need no less capacity for attaining the nothing than the all infinite capacity is required for both, right? And we mistakenly think ourselves capable of reaching the genuine center of things. Why can't we reach it? Because every place is the center, if this is correct, right? So we're not gonna reach the circumference, which is nowhere, but we've almost got too many centers, none of which turn out to be the single center. So that's one important one. Now in this particular translation, there is a reference as well to sphere again, but it's not actually there in the French. It's milieu, right? But what he's saying here does modify this statement. He tells us that we can't actually grasp extremes. They escape us or we them. This is our true state. This is what makes us incapable of certain knowledge and absolute ignorance. We sail within a vast sphere, a milieu vast, right? So we could also say great space or gigantic space as well, ever drifting in uncertainty. We never really attain complete certainty, right? Driven from end to end. He says, when we think to attach ourselves to any point and fasten to it, it wavers and leaves us. And if we follow it, it eludes our grasp, slips past us and vanishes forever. Nothing stays for us. This is our natural condition. And yet most contrary to our inclination, we burn with desire to find solid ground and an ultimate sure foundation whereupon to build a tower reaching to the infinite. But our whole groundwork cracks and the earth opens to abysses and he suggests then a lesson. Let us therefore not look for certainty and stability, right? Instead, let us try to make our way as best as we can because we are within this infinite sphere. We can't actually get to the center because it's everywhere, right? And we can never actually get to the limits, the circumference. We can't take it all in. 
We can't do so through senses. We can't do through so imagination. We can't do, do that even through our intellect. So we have to resign ourselves in a certain way. And we can close bringing up this fearfulness, this frightfulness of the infinite spheres. There is another place, a very short passage, another luminary lapidary saying that I think many people might have heard from Pascal, the eternal silence of these infinite spaces frightens me. And what is the word there? Mephrei fills me with fear, terrifies me. The same thing that was scratched out as the frightful infinite sphere. So this shows Pascal's response, not just to the cosmos as such, but to the modern conception of the cosmos and to our human place or lack of place, too many places, not enough places, instability of place within it. This is a reworking, you could say, of this concept, which Pascal didn't come up with, but gives a different meaning and significance to than it had before. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.